0: All right, so I'll begin recording now. Okay, hi everyone. Welcome to another episode of Carolyn Talks. And today I'm very excited to be speaking with two directors for the, the film Violation. Now this is a very interesting film. It's about revenge, um, sexual assault, rape, family history, and I would say also sibling rivalry um, is what I was getting from the vice of the film. So I'm joined today by Dusty Massanelli and Madeline Sims-Fewer who also stars in the film as Miriam, the lead antagonist and protagonist, depending on how you look at it. And so again, thank you so much for joining me today. Could you please tell me your first, where this idea for this film came from? I've never seen anything quite like it. Thank you. Yeah,
1: nice nice to chat with you.
2: Yeah. So, uh, we met at the TIFF talent lab in 2015 and at the time we were just, uh, both making our own short films, but we were secretly looking for a collaborator. And so we started making these short films together. Um, and we noticed that a lot of our work had to do with, uh, of power, power dynamics between men and women trauma. And really for us, um, our f- foundation, uh, the foundation of our friendship is really kind of built on our own shared histories of, um, trauma and abuse in our past, and we really wanted to make a film that captured the visceral experience for an audience of the post-traumatic stress that the body goes through when dealing with trauma, and we're also just huge fans of the revenge genre, and um, we're wanting to make a film that really dealt with the the grisly nature of revenge instead of uh, this wishful wish fulfillment um, type film where we're, we're sensationalizing the violence and, and, and cheering on the revenge. We wanted to do the, the opposite and instead kind of scare you into never wanting to seek revenge because you can see how it uh, corrodes someone's morality and how it destroys the fabric of their relationships.
1: Yeah, I think while it's really fun to watch revenge films and we definitely enjoy them, where you're with this character who is seeking revenge throughout the film. And then at the end they get their bloody revenge and um, it's and everything is great afterwards. They're healed and they can move on. Um, we wanted to really unpack what it would feel like to, to actually get revenge um, in real life as a real person, what that would do to you psychologically, physically, emotionally, um, and how that would destroy you. Um, from the inside out, really, as a human being.
2: Oh, you're, you're muted.
0: <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, so the thing about it is that you, you do mention the psychological aspects of it. And the thing is, you deal with it from two perspectives. One, from the victim of rape, and then also the process of revenge. Because as you said, during when we watch films about revenge, um, whether it could be for any type of action, we never really get... Uh, the, the the mental state of the person doing it as it's being carried out we might see the, the the mental state of them after the revenge has been carried out but we never really get the full process uh, but uh, during that uh, during the the actual act and I find it I found it very interesting because there were moments in this film where I was like she's a victim she's suffered through this terrible ordeal but then at the back of my mind I'm still thinking this is also she's also doing an extremely violent act and one of the things with the film is, how you use imagery to uh, to portray it, and I found that there's the film is definitely separated into three acts. So we have the relationship dynamic between Miriam and Greta, which is where a lot of I think a lot of her internal struggles come from, um, because you have these two siblings who clearly have a very acrimonious relationships that started from when they were young. Because there's a dialogue with the two of them at the beginning where they're having this chat with their husbands and. On the surface, it seems like they're just recounting these fun childhood um, situations when, like, they talk about um, having vacation in, this, in France and you know doing like regular summer things. But then there's this underlying, I think, sinister feel because Greta talks about when Mary would threaten her. For doing something she didn't like she's like i'm gonna rip off your head and i basically like excuse my language shit in your it's shit in your neck and i'm like she's 10 years old and she said this to her sister and the husbands are laughing it off but the way how you focus on like, you play miriam and the way you focus on your foot um, on your face i'm like she meant that she was 10 years old and she meant it and and then what happens later it shows that she does have this penchant for violence and it and it just takes this one thing to push her over the edge and and I just think that was done so well because we never really think about how an an act like rape or sexual or harassment can unlock something in someone mentally. And so I just wanted to ask you about just developing that aspect of not only the script and the story, but also for you, Madeline, like portraying this character. Like, what made you decide to be the person to play Miriam instead of just casting someone else?
1: Hmm. Um, yeah. The, those are really. I mean, really integral, interesting questions and, and very perceptive. Um, we both are interested in um, family dynamics and the complexities of being a sibling and growing up with someone and having an idea of who this person is um, that remains fixed. Even, when you, even though you change as an adult, your idea of your siblings is always informed by the way you were growing up. Um, so it's hard to shift your perspective of someone. And often those those perspectives stick and and they may not be right anymore or relevant anymore, but you still hold fast to them. Yeah,
2: yeah and I think um, for us, we knew that Madeline was always going to play um, Greta in the film, the, uh, the sister, actually. Um, and as we got closer to production, um, you know, I, I just suggested it to Madeline. Like, have you... Like, what, what are your thoughts on, on playing Miriam? And we didn't think about it at first, just simply because the it would have been too daunting to even consider doing all of it at once. But I think as we got closer, we felt more comfortable. Um, and uh, it just felt like a, a really great opportunity because in the film, we're really trying to push the boundaries of performance. Um, so there's a lot of things that happen in the film. For example, the, the projectile vomiting is, is real. And that's something that was really important to Madeline that we, of course, I don't think could have asked another actor to do. Mm -hmm. And it was like certain things like that, the physicality that Madeline brought to the the character and the performance was just something uh, for a low budget film like this, we just wouldn't have been able to pull off. And um, this being our first feature really, it was really empowering to have Madeline play the lead. It just allowed us more freedoms and flexibility. Yeah, I
1: think because of um, my own history and... Dusty's history and our closeness to the subject matter it made a lot of sense for me to play Miriam Um, even though it was it was emotionally draining at times um, to go into those places that are are so close Um, it was it like Dusty said allowed me to I would push myself um, as far as I could go and I think it would have been quite difficult to to achieve that kind of same level of um, commitment from someone who who
0: wasn't me. Hmm. I understand what you mean, um, going back a little bit to the siblings dynamics. Like I have a twin sister, we're fraternal twins. And like the things that we've experienced separately and as, um, and as a twin can do affect the way we perceive certain things. Like the way I, re- I might relate to a situation because she wasn't there when it happened. It doesn't, like she doesn't fully understand, but people always expect us to have the same, um, perspective on things. And I'm like, no, like we, there are times when we will literally think and say and speak the same things at the same time. But our, our, who we are as people is shaped completely separate because we went to separate secondary schools. We didn't go to the same colleges at the same time. We work in completely different industries and those things do shape. And like, we're looking at Greta and Miriam, like I wondered like what they're, we, we can see who they are as adults now and we get an idea of who they were as like 10 years old and 12. But I wondered like, what would, what were they like as um, as teenagers, but then like we get a, a bit of a clue into that in in this very interesting conversation between Dylan and Miriam, and I found their relationship they they have a very they had a close relationship as when they were college age, and it seems like that's how in a way Miriam relates to Greta because she has this abstract relationship with her own sister, while she has this close relationship with this man who then goes on to do this extremely terrible thing to her. And and like we like when you talk about the statistics of people of of assault and rape and abuse, they say that the majority of the perpetrators are people close to the victims. And then when you look at it, not only was he her college friend, but he is her sister's husband and she's the one who introduced her sister to him. And it's this and it's this it's this really terrible web. And I found also the imagery of using spiders and spider webs kind of made me think about how everything is interconnecting and it's kind of like um, destructive because the spider's web looks beautiful if like when you use the rain which is another symbol that you use but in this beautiful spider web like glistening with raindrops it's like as an insect as a bug that's being caught and I just wanted to ask you about the uh, of creating these little interconnections and these little things like you have this one act that sits in the center of the plot and everything else kind of branches out from that so could you tell me a little bit about developing that aspect of the story Mm -hmm.
1: Um, I think one thing that was um, very important to us in this is the specificity of all the relationships um, and all of these little moments um, and kind of character beats that fit together. Um, like you said, there are things that you can draw from it being a sister um, there hopefully people... In the specificity will relate to certain moments um, quite strongly and I mean I remember my I have a younger brother and I have two older sisters and so much of this came from from um, our relationships with our own siblings um, and I remember my younger brother saying to me once you were such a bully when we were kids you were really mean to me mm-hmm. and I was shocked because I felt like I, we were just having a good time um, I didn't realize that, that the way that I teased him or the, the things I said to him were actually having an impact on him as a kid. And I think um, that's something that we tried to build into to Greta and Miriam's relationship where Miriam has one perspective of being her sister's protector and her crusader and Greta sees it as her being incredibly controlling of her.
2: Yeah, it's, it's this idea of one person knows better what is the right way to live your life? And I think um, that that can always be a challenge within families, uh, you know, giving someone advice or thinking you know better. And that seems to be a constant um, dynamic that's plagued their relationship. And that's something we wanted to explore. I think definitely the, the natural elements of the film, the, the, the use of nature and in- insects uh, were definitely purposeful. Um, for us, it's about really challenging our own, our notions of, of morality and what it, what does it mean to be considered a civilized species. Like we're, when we watch um, a wolf tear apart the stomach of a rabbit, we're not judging that wolf. We don't think that the wolf is doing anything wrong. It's natural. It's innate. That's what it does. Um, and yet, as humans, we've added this extra layer of um, morality on top of what it means to be humans. And um, the whole film is really challenging that notion of, in in this case you know who is doing the right thing and is it just what does it mean to find justice Um, and
1: there's also some yeah I mean there's also this interesting thing of we hold ourselves to this standard um, as higher beings as we kind of see ourselves as as human beings Um, but are we any better in certain actions that we take and um, all those actions kind of just as ruthless um, and just as devoid of of character and thought and morality as just the natural world
0: mm, and going from that so like like I mentioned earlier like the main focal point of this film I think is is um, Miriam's actual act of revenge on Dylan and you talk you talk about the brutality and of nature and like the thing is is like for human beings when we always talk about monsters we always talk about these mythological creatures we talk like you know like lichens and like vampires and whatever but like when you think of reality like who we are as individuals like we do monstrous things and you're like who is that who's the monster the the animal that is only just following its base nature are us the humans who make these choices for these horrific actions and and like for like for Dylan, he's a monster. What he did is monstrous, but he doesn't see it that way. He tries to like literally gaslight Miriam and tells her, stop trying to rewrite history. He's like, you said this and you and you did that, and implying that just one word and one gesture it was her giving him permission to have sex. And she's like, No, it was rape. I never told you that I wanted this. I told you to stop. And he and and that's the thing, like for human beings, like we we try to rationalize things. And for him, that's what he was trying to do. And then when it's like to me, I saw it as w- w- in her in her rape, like something in her broke, and it um it I saw something as her dying because there's this shot and it happens a few times in the film where it's her hand lying on the ground and, and like it's a very close up of her hand and then there's a fly on it and when it first happened, I was like, this reminds me of a corpse on the ground because you see you're you're seeing a detached body or you're seeing his hand. I'm like you, I'm like this is a corpse, and I saw it as a symbol of this, some part of her dying in that moment. And then in the act of the revenge, it's so methodical. It actually kind of reminded me of the horror film, um, the Japanese horror film, audition. Because there's a very particular scene. I was like, this is like audition, creepy, but I get it. And like she does it, and she becomes so detached, like with each moment. And it's filmed. I want to ask you if it's filmed in real time, and uh, and like just filming with the actor because that was a very uncomfortable moment for me, but. As it went on, I started to understand her headspace and she just became more detached and, and like kind of disconnected from what she was doing. And in that moment, it, see, she seems almost monstrous in that. But then you're thinking, but then I'm thinking that what led to this was a, was a was a monstrous act. Like he killed part of her and she's just thinking, this is my revenge, but it's also she's thinking, I'm never going to get justice for what happened to me. I'm never going to get anyone to understand because she tells her sister and her sister doesn't even like, hesitate, right, that's the thing, I had me regret, regret, I never hesitated in saying, you know, she just immediately went on to defend Dylan, and I'm like, well, that's gonna just break something else in her too, because, like, she's, this man that she knew did this terrible thing, and then her sister, the other person that she's closest to, it just, like, immediately, like, um, denies everything that she says, and then even later in the night, her own husband takes up, Regret it, and having no idea of the conversation I went, I having no idea what went on previously the the night, and she's just thinking everyone in the world is against me. And in that moment, she doesn't seem like a monster. She just seems like this. Um, I don't even want to make this reference, but I'm good. That's the thing that's popping into my head is like The Walking Dead. And and I know it seems absurd to make that kind of reference, but if we're talking about monsters, like I'm like she would be like a walking zombie. Like there's nothing left in her to give, and she the only thing she has is this act of violence and. Could you just tell me about like your mindset, Madeline, playing this particular scene or sequence, as I would say, and creating this, um, this, I I don't even, I, I've, I've never seen a scene like that because coming from the female gaze, like we don't very much get, we don't really get an aggressive female gaze. And that's what this scene seemed. I could feel the aggression in in this. I wanted to ask you, Madeline, about playing this and also for both of you and Dusty about filming this and how you were able to like gain the perspective and the sense of aggression in the filming.
1: Yeah, I I think everything you said is, it's so great hearing you talk about um, the way you um, kind of ingested the film and your take on it because it's exactly what we intended. And I think so many um men in particular actually to be quite frank miss um some of it um and miss what is happening to Miriam um and the way you described it actually made me feel kind of emotional because it was like you you absolutely understand Mm -hmm. um what this what is driving this character and what she's gone through and that part that um you're the first person to actually talk about that shot of uh Miriam's hand oh Um, us is so important because this it is this moment where something in her dies and it is this moment where she is frozen um she's so frozen in the horror of what is happening to her um there is nothing she can do um except for just stare at her kind of dead arm Mm. Um, and, and yeah no one no one has mentioned that that shot um yet so um, it's really, really great. And, and also Audition, it's funny that I love that film so much and it was not an interest to this, but it definitely bled into it just somehow um, through my psyche, um, bled into the, into this film.
2: I think when we talk about films that deal with consent and particularly you know rape sequences, um, again, we're just so used to seeing The Stranger in the Alleyway, this really violent, horrific rapes. And while those do exist, I think, uh, like you said, the stats just show, and from our own, our own personal experiences, that it's someone you know, someone you care about, someone you trust, and those are more insidious. Those what what that looks like, you know, the idea that uh, Miriam is completely asleep, she's unconscious when it happens. It's it's it happens in a moment of quiet. It's it's almost gentle because it's not um, done in a way that's overtly violent or f- uh, physical, uh, but yet just as violent, the act itself, um, is something that was really important for us to try to portray. And it's um, trying to make you feel um, the the kind of claustrophobia and shock that Miriam's feeling in that moment. And and, and that detachment that she feels Mm -hmm. um, is really quite challenging. And I think it's interesting because a lot of people sometimes fixate on, well, why didn't she do more in that moment? You know, and again, it's like falling into the traps of blaming the victim, which is shocking because it, there's literally nothing she could do in that moment. It's, it's already been done. Um, but some people still fixate on, on her, her lack of um, aggression within the moment, instead of noticing what's really happening inside of her. Um,
0: I think people you know.
2: are
1: quite afraid of, um, Uh, female rage and anger um and seeing that in film um kind of so laid bare um and it is something that from the very beginning we wanted to to explore the extent of her anger
2: um and it's shocking to us how harshly both men and women judge Miriam's actions because she's a woman if if she were were a man it would be very different the Mm our analysis of her, how far she goes would be, you know, we'd be far more forgiving, far more empathetic. It was really surprising to us. Um, Even, even though we really try to humanize her along the way, showing Mm -hmm. that she's repulsed by um, slitting his throat, showing that she has second thoughts of even going through with it, having a panic attack before she gets rid of the, the, the actual um, body itself. It's like, we're showing you that this is a human person who's really, emotionally and psychologically impacted by what she's going through it still wasn't enough because mm. the threshold is still there's this innate bias within society where um you know men are or women are portrayed as being you know virtuous
1: or evil or it's evil. so black and white yeah. there's not there's yeah. not a space yet for female anti-heroes mm. um where we really want to see more of that
0: Yeah, Yeah. do you think that people's reticence to that scene or just acknowledging the fact that she is owed her aggression is because he's naked in that scene? Like, he's completely naked and she's fully clothed. And again, that's something that we rarely see on screen. Like I told a friend, like, when it comes to, like, spoilers, but um, she strangles him. And I I feel it's important to mention this because she does it barehanded. And I'm a fan of action films. And usually if we do see a woman strangling a man, she's using a tool, like a rope, um, an electrical cable, um, you know, like a our, our garrot, or something to help her get um, that 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 extra leverage what she, that she needs. But she like um, Miriam does it barehanded. And there's this and like when you look at when like, you look at psychological descriptions of like murder and whatever, this says when it comes to like things like strangulation, that's one of the most personal ways mm-hmm. of killing someone. And for her to do that while he's naked, I think is one of the reasons why people, especially men, might as you said, might not be fully on her side because they're seeing this man, this large man in a vulnerable state physically. And he's also like, um, I guess you could say almost emotionally because he almost died, like, because like he almost suffocated. But then she just goes on and goes full on uh, being aggressive and kills him this way. And I will say for me, it wasn't that I didn't think that she should have done it for me. I was just thinking, you have really, for a woman of her size, she has really got to be filled with so much rage that it comes up for her to be able to control this man. And I can see men men, men and maybe some women um, saying, oh, like, you know, like she's being too harsh or whatever. That's like using a very loose term, harsh. But but I can see them saying like, because I think it has to do with the way how you did it. She's fully clothed. He's butt naked. And it comes after a moment of inferred sexuality, um, um, of sexuality, because he, he, like, he thinks that he's there to have a good time because again, he thinks that what he did to her was consensual and he thinks that she wants Mormon and he's so into himself, he doesn't read her body language. Like she's like, she's already starting to detach and she's already uncomfortable and she's like sending clear signals that she's not comfortable with being around him. But him being who he is, he doesn't read anything about that, right? And I think that leading into what, to what happens after could be white people miss the cues because some people are either they're in denial or they themselves are completely oblivious on how certain body language it like can tell you like she's telegraphing so much about herself and her mental state but some people just don't maybe don't want to pick up on these cues
1: yeah I think um I think one thing that's important to say is that in no way with this film are we saying that she does the the justified thing
0: Mm. um
1: absolutely what her actions are horrific um, and they completely destroy her. Um, but she feels in, in that moment that she has nothing else, nowhere else to go, nothing else. She's kind of um, just reached a threshold of she has no, no one to turn to, no way to get to uh, release her anger or her pain.
2: Yeah, and in terms of the full frontal male nudity, it was really important to us to flip the, the trope on its head. I mean, we were so used to seeing women being sexualized in this genre and there's just something really empowering about a woman fully clothed, stripping a man of his clothes, making him vulnerable and him and her holding all the power in the scene. And I think, yeah, that makes probably some men or many men feel more threatened uh, when they watch that sequence. But I will add, if, if anyone out there thinks that she couldn't overpower him, it's like he... Is literally gotten a bat to the head. He's almost suffocated. He's fallen. Which, He's tied to a chair. I mean, if I fall now, I'm, I'm old enough that I feel like I'll throw up my hip. <laughs> He's tied to a chair. And then we did these tests, like, just ourselves. If you pin anyone just to their sh- with their shoulders, yes. it's, it's, like, impossible to move. So it's literally, like, all the things that you could possibly all the 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 extra advantages you can give to someone to to show that it's completely within the realm of possibility and yet still there's this ingrained sexism of hmm I don't know if um if she could overpower him so it's just really fascinating when you when you show a film like this to get the varying responses because I think it just automatically uh reveals uh the individual biases of the, of the audience
0: mm-hmm. Mm. and so just before we wrap this I just have two last questions for you so could you just tell me about filming this scene with the actor and how you prepared for it um because like I'm not gonna like say exactly what happens but when you but when you watch it you're thinking I like you're thinking for an actor like to be in this space and into this this and this film like what like how did you guys prepare him for that and then go through the steps of filming it and then um for the 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 revenge is so meticulous Um, And it all comes on to this one moment where you're just thinking, what on earth did she do? And you're just like, like the way I I put it in my notes is like, now everyone is involved in his revenge, Uh, in in her revenge, sorry. Now, especially everyone, her, her sister, um, his, his entire family, they're all, they're all a part of her revenge and they have no clue. So do you just, could, could you just tell me about those two final, um, those two, those two things?
2: I'll, I'll take the first part, you take yes, the second part. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, the full frontal male nudity required a lot of sensitivity on set, and so it just meant that we had a closed set. Um, we shot that scene over five days, actually, <laughs> so it was rigorous, it was storyboarded and shot listed, and we had a very clear vision of what we would see, when we would see it, how we would see it, and that allowed us to make everyone on set comfortable and make sure that Jesse LaBerkum, who played the brother-in-law, he knew exactly what was coming when it was coming, so there was no kind of surprise or anticipation. Um, and, you know, there is a moment in the film where there's a fully erect penis and that the challenge in in that is making sure that we're very clear about um, that's, there's going to be very specific. It's not that that's not happening for five days straight. There's very specific <laughs> moments when we're going to actually uh, go to shoot that. And and there was just preparation um, that, we had in advance with Jesse, um, making sure he felt really comfortable and safe on set. I think really that's what it comes down to is um, making an actor, no matter what the scene is, feel like they can take great risks without being judged or scrutinized um, and, and really feel like there's a support around them, not just from the directors but the entire crew that are present that are filming the sequence. And I think that once you create those conditions, mm. uh, you really allow for a com- uh, an actor to really f- expose themselves in a very vulnerable position like that and feel comfortable.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, in, in regards to this of her, her kind of final act um, in bringing the family into this, this uh trauma it's somewhat metaphorical in in what we're trying to say about how trauma within families has a ripple effect um, and just impacts everyone everyone is drawn into that trauma and everyone uh plays a part within it because it's unavoidable when um when something like this happens within a close-knit family um And family can be within can stand in for a group of friends, or when the the perpetrator of um, the sexual violence is someone that you are close to and that is within your sphere and isn't just a stranger who you have no idea who who it is, a masked stranger. um, That trauma is there not just for the for the person, but for everyone everyone around them.
0: Yeah, um, that I I thought a scene was like. A really good um I think as, to me explanation of not only Miriam's mental state with regards to what happened um with the rape and also like her carrying out the revenge but also her sister because what happened before that is she has a discussion with Greta about this dream that she has and she's she's talking about Greta dying and I'm like to me that was like almost like putting the nail in that in the coffin like that's it their relationship is dead there's nothing left of it and I just thought that you handled that brilliantly and I know this film is going to be very create a lot of discussion and I think it'll be interesting to see what happens in it. Um again, thank you so much for talking with me. It was so great to talk to the both of you and to gain your perspectives on creating this film and this story and um I I hope you guys have great success in the future and that uh I I like I'll be, I'm very interested to see what you do next because this is um I think it's also one of the most unique films I've definitely seen for sure. Thanks so
2: much. Thanks so much. Really great. Thanks so thank
0: much.
2: Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Carolyn.
0: Thank you, Guillermo.